with the 20th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. Every athlete has a journey. Focus on the game. Let us worry about getting you there. Auto repair, roadside assistance, and auto insurance. Start your journey at AAA.com. Hello, everyone. Happy holidays, and welcome to the latest edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast. I am Alex Smith, joined by the one and only Fran Duffy. Fran, how was your Christmas? Alex, my Christmas was wonderful. I appreciate the uh, the concern. Uh, how was your holiday? It was lovely. Uh, obviously, a chance to hang out with family, relax. Uh, it was a wonderful time. Now, my question is, did Santa bring you any scouting tools for you? Any, any, <laughs> any new tape, any, anything new like that, new books? I think he read the scouting report that, that, that I did on him, and he was not too happy. Funny you should mention the scouting <laughs> report. I want to bring that up here to start the show. Uh, for those of you who haven't checked it out yet, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the latest Smithology column, uh, Fran gives the most in-depth scouting report on Santa Claus that you will find anywhere. Uh, so how much, how much time did you really dedicate to that, to dig into the tape and find out what you needed to know about Santa Claus as an NFL player? Uh, listen, I've, I've been on this guy for like 28 years, you know, ever since I can remember. Uh, I've been watching tape on Santa. So uh, it was definitely, it was fun. It was a good idea by you. Yeah, so uh, we have a couple of mock drafts we're going to go through in a little bit, and Santa doesn't crack the first round in either of these mock drafts. No. So these guys just obviously haven't done their homework yet. But, he's a sleeper. Uh, he's, <laughs> well, he's definitely a sleeper. Uh, so we'll get into those mock drafts later. That'll be in our draft, bus, uh, draft buzz segment. We have a couple of mock drafts to go to. We'll also go through Fran's Saturday scouting as uh, we have bowl games going on right now as we're recording this uh, here on Saturday afternoon. The Eagles and Redskins play tonight, obviously, uh, the biggest game of the season to this point for the Eagles. Uh, if they win, they keep their playoff hopes alive. If not, uh, Washington can clinch the division. So obviously a huge game here tonight at Lincoln Financial Field. Uh, in our pick six segment later, we'll give you some couple of under-the-radar players uh, in action in bowl games this week leading into the huge college football playoff games on New Year's Eve. Uh, and then we'll talk about some of the guys playing on New Year's Day as well. And then we will dig into our draft mailbag. So... A jam-packed show for you here today, and we will start things off with Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. So as we start off Draft Buzz here, Fran, I want to look at uh, one of the latest mock drafts to come out, and this one is from our good friends at Pro Football Focus, not to be confused with Bo Football Focus. Uh, But an interesting list here for a number of reasons. First guy off the board is Joey Bosa. That's a name that we've heard plenty about as the potential number one pick. Uh, They have him going off the board to Tennessee first. That's not too much of a surprise. Uh, But to me, the second overall pick is really surprising. The Cleveland Browns taking the quarterback, uh, and it's not Paxton Lynch, but it's Jared Goff. Uh, And Goff, to me, is a guy, obviously I haven't watched the film as much as you have, as in-depth as you have, um, but Lynch just seems like a guy that has all the tools Goff, the first guy off the board here. I'm curious what your thoughts are there. You know, it's here's why it's surprising to me because you kind of understand what PFF uses as their as their grading system, and they're very much based on performance. Sure. And really, the big knock on Goff, my understanding is, because I haven't gone through every single game yet. I've done a few games because again, he hasn't officially declared for the draft yet. So right. uh, I've watched maybe two or three games from this year. Uh, and most of them were at early stages of the season before uh, the really, you know, the kind of the downswing. 
he had some quote unquote bad games in terms of stati- you know statistics. So interesting that they would have him that high uh, based off of their grades. But you know, watching him, I mean, he's a, he is a big time talent. There, there's no question the talent is there. The question will be for me going into those games in the latter half of the season is what happened from a production standpoint. Uh, you know, I watched a game. It was against Utah. He threw four or five picks. Yep. Maybe one or two were on him. I mean, it was a couple tip balls, uh, a miscommunication with a wide receiver, another one where the ball was knocked out. I mean, it was you know just kind of a, a, a one of those games. So you know, maybe some of those other games were very very much in the same vein. I'm very interested to see what happened. But uh, with Goff, I think Goff. Look, the, all these guys at the top all have a, a right, I think, to battle out for this for this top spot. So I'm interested to see how it shakes out. Uh, how does his arm strength compare with some of the other guys? I think Lynch is fur- much further along in terms of arm talent. I think Goff's a good arm. He's not a great arm. You know, so I think you talk about you know, the Hackenbergs and the Cardell Joneses and, uh, you know, like, like I said, uh, Paxton Lynch. Those guys, I think, have the three strongest arms in the draft. Uh, and then after that, I think you can kind of get into some of the other guys. You know, I think Goff is in there. I think jo- Jacoby Brissett is in there. So, uh, Carson Wentz, I think, is is in that same tier, I would say, in terms of arm strength. Um, but, yeah, that, I would say that he's further along than some of those other guys. Speaking of some of those other guys, Carson Wentz, you mentioned. Paxton Lynch, you mentioned. They're not in this first round, according to Pro Football Focus. Could you see that playing out? I, I feel like, obviously, quarterback's a position where a lot of teams reach out to get a guy in the first round. Could you see just one quarterback going in the first round? I could see it. I don't think that it will happen. I, I do think that more than one will end up going because uh, we've touched on in the past. I think this is a good quarterback group, and I think that when you know overall, and this is this is the way I'm going to look at it. If Johnny Manziel can go in the first round, like why why can't some of these guys that we're talking about? So uh, that will be the big thing for me is as we go through this process is if Johnny Manziel can go in round one, uh, you know why can't Carson Wentz go in round one? Uh, next guy off the board here, according to Pro Football Focus, to San Diego is DeForest Buckner from Oregon. Uh, I'm curious how much you've been able to watch of him, and uh, how does he compare to a guy like Deion Jordan who came out of Oregon a few years ago? So, obviously, both you know, similar in terms of for their respective positions, very unique size and length. And that, and that was the big thing with Jordan a couple of years ago. He was a pass rusher at 6'6". I want to say he was 245 pounds or so. Uh, may have been a little lighter. Um, but at that size, to be able to play in coverage the, as much as he did was very, very unique. Now, uh, he plays as an out, he played as an outside linebacker for that team. Mm-hmm. Buckner plays as a defensive end, as, you know, over the ball, uh, you know, as a five technique. So uh, that's really just the difference in terms of the position they play. But in terms of the traits and, and you know, and, and the measurables compared to some of their other position mates, I guess, in, in this draft class, I think Buckner presents – uh, really unique size. You know, we talked about that last year, and when it came to Arik Armstead, you know his team, his former teammate there on the uh, Oregon Ducks defensive line. Um, he's a very interesting guy because he's got the ability to two gap, very very good with his hands, is able to lock out, is able to hold up at the point of attack. Very interesting player for sure. Uh, they've got him going pretty high, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so he goes number three overall there. A uh, couple little, little bit later on down the list here. Um, talking about the wide receiver position it's an interesting group this year um and josh doxson goes as the first wide receiver off the board to san fran at number five uh and then laquan treadwell goes right after him the next pick to dallas at number six uh how do those two wide receivers doxson and treadwell kind of stack up i think they're similar in a lot of ways in turn they're playing style similar and i'll be interested to see how that shakes out because 
really you've got <clears throat> one guy I would say in Treadwell who is just a better pedigree. You know, I mean, he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school uh, for his size. He and he played at two thirty plus as a as a sophomore a year ago, um, and lost I want to say it was twelve to eighteen pounds mm. coming into this year. So lost a good amount of weight, and he runs better because of it. And that, and that was good to see because I thought uh, a little bit of a plotter in terms of his movement a year ago. I think that this year he showed a little a little bit more speed, a little bit more giddy up down the field, and that's really you know kind of helped me in terms of my projection for him. Dotson, I think he moves pretty well too, though. And, you know, a big guy. Both are big guys that are able to go up and attack the football. Really good at the catch point, natural ball skills, and that's where both those guys win. So uh, I think that they're both very, very similar. I think Dotson would need. Look, he had. A, he was extremely productive, extremely productive, and there's no, there's no question about that. Um, the wrist injury hurt him in, in terms of not being able to finish out the year against the best competition on their schedule. Uh, he'll be going down to the Senior Bowl, which is a, a luxury that Treadwell does not have since he's an underclassman uh, if he were to declare for the draft. I'm interested to see how that would shake out. I don't know that people look at Doxon from a national standpoint as a top five, top ten type talent, but that's, this will be the, the discuss, these are the types of discussions that we'll have in the spring is if people are going to look at Treadwell as that kind of a player – how much different is he than Doxon? If, right. if people are talking about Doxon as an early second-round pick or a late first-round pick, how much different are those two players? And then you have a guy like Corey Coleman in the mix right. as well. Uh, is, he, is he a different type of receiver or sure. almost in that same kind of category? Exactly. He's, he's a different kind of receiver. And then you know, with Coleman, his game, athleticism is, is really not going to be a question with him. Uh, and he's a little bit smaller, but the thing with uh, with Coleman is is that he's got the ability to beat you deep, but he can also go up and win in those contested situations. So really interesting guy from that standpoint. Really, I mean, the, the, the big thing with all three of these guys, and Doxon has improved from last year, this year, in this stage, is route running, and, and that's going to be the big – because you talked about uh, a guy like Amari Cooper and what he's been able to do since coming into the league a year ago. Sure. Uh, as a route runner and being able to do things at a pro-style level that a lot of rookie receivers aren't able to do. You're not going to say that about any of these three guys. So uh, I'm interested to see how teams start to rank these three players. But uh, definitely in terms of, especially with Treadwell and Doxon, two very similar type players, two similar skill sets. And then you throw in Coleman with his explosive ability. Again, I've, t- I've talked in the past about some of the issues I have with Coleman as a player, and it's more just a product of that system and the way that they're coached down there sure. and what they're asked to do. Um, but yeah, there's a little bit more projection that's needed there. Very interesting group at the top. And then just kind of taking a peek at the rest of the NFC East, uh, the New York Giants, number 13, taking Shaq Lawson here, a defensive end from Clemson. Uh, it seems like every mock draft that comes out has the, have the Giants taking someone uh, to shore up their defensive line. Um, how does Lawson fit into what they do? I think he would make sense. He he kind of fits the kind of players that they've bought in at the defensive end spot in terms of being able to to win with power and win with leverage. You know, you look at Owamabeo Digizua they drafted last year. Uh, is that's that kind of a player? Demontre Moore was that kind of a player out of Texas A and M, and he he just was released a few weeks back. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the players they've bought in on the edge over the past couple of years have kind of fit the bill as power leverage type rushers. So that w- that would make a good amount of sense. And then at number seventeen. Philadelphia Eagles, Leonard Floyd from Georgia. And this is a guy that the last few mock drafts that we've looked at, Floyd has been the guy. And we're going to look at another one from Dane Brugler later on. Uh, And sorry to spoil it, but he has Floyd going to the Eagles as well at number 14. Uh, Outside linebacker from Georgia, from, you know, what I've read, I haven't gotten a chance to watch him, but kind of a lean guy, edge rusher. Um, 
We've talked about him in the past, but how does he fit what the Eagles do? I think that he fits because he's one of those guys, and he, adds, he needs to add some weight. He's a, he's a little bit skinny in terms of what you'd want for an outside linebacker in a 3-4, but uh, he's got the ability to hold up at, against the run. I think he's got a good mind for knowing how to defend the run. He's a good team run defender in terms of being able being gap disciplined. He's just got to be able to, to hold up and get a little bit stronger. But very dynamic pass rusher, is able to drop back in coverage and run with receivers, run with tight ends down the field. So uh, he's able to contribute in those two areas. Again, if you can get him, get some weight on him, uh, add some strength to his game, and now he can hold up better at the point of attack. Now you have a guy that can contribute in all three phases of the, of the, of the defense. But really just an interesting guy just because he can impact the, the, the game as a pass rusher, played as an inside linebacker on base downs, and then came outside uh, as a pass rusher in passing situations. Really, really intriguing player. It's, you know, it's a philosophical argument when it comes to draft that we hear all the time where it's taking a position of need or just taking the best overall player available. And In this case, if the Eagles were to take Leonard Floyd, that's just taking the best player on the board correct yeah and i obviously everyone will have their different opinions on on who's the best available player on the board but i think floyd has first right you know if the, the, in this mock draft from mm-hmm. pff the eagles are taking picking at 17 we all hope that they're picking higher than that um or i guess lower than that uh however you look at it mm-hmm. um but picking later in the draft i think that floyd has that kind of a talent i think honestly i i think 17 would be a steal for leonard floyd so um, I would be very, very excited about that move. But when you take a guy uh, as a depth player, which you assume he would be next year because Connor Barr and Brandon Graham still there on the outside, sure. when you take a guy like that in the first round, does that then put more pressure on you as an, or- as an organization to try to find starters in the second or third round? Obviously, you're always looking for starters, but are you in the next few rounds, are you looking to fill needs then? No, I, I think that throughout the entire draft, to me, when you're looking at the draft, you want to add the best players that fit what you do regardless. So, you know, they might be at a position where maybe you don't have an immediate need, such as inside linebacker, uh, and say, hey, Jordan Hicks is a great player in terms of being able to be a three-down linebacker. He's athletic. He's physical. He's instinctive. He's a great leader. He's got the ability to be able to come in and pick up everything immediately. We may not need him because we have D'Amico Ryans. We have Kiko Alonso. We have Michael Kendricks. You know, we have Najee Good coming back from injury. We feel really good about our inside linebacking core. We don't necessarily need Jordan Hicks for next year, but let's bring him in now and we'll, and we'll, we'll groom him for down the road. And then two injuries later, now all of a sudden Jordan Hicks is one of the most important players on the football team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's just an example of why you need to continue to bring in the best players available regardless of what your immediate needs may seem to be. So Floyd goes to the Eagles at nev- number 17 in this mock. Uh, the next four picks, Buffalo takes Jack Conklin, uh, offensive tackle from Michigan State. Houston takes Ronnie Stanley from Notre Dame. Sua Cravens goes to Pittsburgh. And then Scooby Wright goes to Arizona. Any of those four players make more sense to you than Floyd does in this case? Uh, I would say no. I, I think that F- I would take Floyd, especially for the Eagles, o- over those four players. Um, I'll say uh, head-scratcher that, that they have Wright that high. I, I don't look at Wright as a, as a top 21-type player. Um, very interested to see that they've got him rated that high. Uh, the other big thing, too, is, is Jack Conklin going over Ronnie Stanley, and I, I guess that's how he grades out for them. Um, you know, Conklin is an interesting player. hasn't declared for the draft yet. He'll play this week in the in the, in the college football playoff. 
for Michigan State against Alabama. He's got a great matchup against Alabama's defensive end, Ashawn Robinson, coming up. So that'll be a big test for him and a game that a lot of people will point to throughout the draft process if he does decide to declare for this draft. But uh, a very interesting player regardless. Uh, two good tackles right there in the middle of the first round. Uh, kind of switching gears here to uh, another mock draft, this one from Dane Brugler of CBSSports.com. Uh, and, and a big difference in this draft as compared to the pro football focus one that we just looked at. Laramie Tunsil goes number one overall to Tennessee. Uh, this was a player that I think pro football focus had going 11th. So Tunsil goes first here, and then we get uh, another offensive tackle uh, two picks later where Ronnie Stanley goes to Baltimore at number three. Uh, Tunsil's a guy, obviously, you've talked about in the past, but you love, you love what he can do up front. So, uh, so far at this point in the process, and I, I still have a lot, especially because the underclassmen haven't fully declared yet, at this point, I would say Tunsil is the best player in the draft, um, just in terms of overall talent. I, I think he's one of the best, if not the best, offensive linemen I've ever studied, and it's, you know, we'll say over the last five years. Uh, I think Tunsil is a special talent, tackle spot, so not surprised at all to see Dane have him at number one. Uh, so, so like I said, Tunsil goes number one, Stanley goes number three, uh, and that kind of reminds me of the 2013 draft when right. we saw all those offensive tackles. Three in the first round pick with uh, Luke Jokel and Eric Fisher, Lane Johnson, obviously to the Eagles at number four. Uh, how does this offensive tackle group stack up to that year's uh, at this point in the draft process, at least? That's interesting. So at this point in the draft process that year, no one was really talking about Lane Johnson the way that uh, he was, at, we'll say, after the Senior Bowl and after the Combine. The combine really set uh, him that apart. Was, right? That was really the, the big thing for, for Lane was, uh, you know, Senior Bowl, he was one of the do- most dominant players, regardless of position, down in Mobile. Uh, and then he went and blew up the Combine, and that really helped him. Um, and look, I, you could probably make the argument that he's the best of the three players that have gone, even though he went third, he's probably been the best so far of those three players. Uh, and I haven't done a ton of work on Fisher and Jokel, but talking with friend, you know, friends around the league like our Greg Cosell uh, from NFL Films, uh, he would say, I would, even though Lane, I think, obviously still has room to, to grow and continue to develop, of those three, he's t- kind of turned out the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I would say Tunsil is certainly ahead of those three players coming out of school. Um, and then it just comes down to Stanley. It's interesting. Stanley's going to be interesting because I think the, the raw ability is definitely there. And I think he's got the, the ability to be a tackle or a guard on either side. Uh, so he's got some, some versatility. But when you talk to people that cover the team, some, they'll say he, he has a little bit of boomer bust in him. You know, and right. A lot of people say, hey, you know, in terms of leadership in the locker room, what is he like away from the field? He wasn't the leader of that offensive line. It was Nick Martin, Zach Martin's younger brother, who's the, who's the, the center there for, for Notre Dame. Uh, he was really the leader of that offensive line. So I'll be interested to see what happens here with Stanley moving forward. So the Eagles pick at number 14, and as I said earlier, Leonard Floyd is the choice here. What's interesting to me, Fran, is that the next two picks off the board are Laquan Treadwell and Connor Cook. Uh, Would you take either of those two guys, if you're the Eagles, before taking Leonard Floyd? I think with Cook, and this is something we've talked about and we'll continue to talk about, with Cook, you've got to be sure that you're good with him off the field because that's going to be the – a lot of people are going to be asking what the – the questions that need to be asked uh, with Connor Cook. Treadwell, I think that that would be interesting, and, and we'll talk about this in a bit. The Eagles have spent a, fir- a first-round pick last year, and then they spent a second and a third the year before on the wide receiver position. Can you continue to dr- spend high assets uh, at that spot? Again, best player available, no question, but it would be interesting to see if they decided to go that route. We've talked about Treadwell already in this podcast and what he can be and what, are his, what his skill set is. 
I think that he would be a fit, no question. Um, but I think if you have a equal talent, and probably a, to me, I think he's probably a better player uh, in Leonard Floyd. I think I would take Leonard Floyd. Uh, very interesting stuff. Obviously, always great to look at the latest mock drafts that come out uh, and see who the Eagles are taking. And it's uh, as of late, Leonard Floyd has been the guy, but obviously that'll most likely change here throughout the next couple of months. Let's transition now into uh, your Saturday scouting piece here, Fran. Um, and one of the first matchups that you look at is actually a game that's going on right now as we record this podcast, Indiana versus Duke uh, in the pinstripe bowl, pinstripe bowl at Yankee Stadium. Duke's up 3 to nothing right now with nine minutes to go in the first quarter, so still obviously plenty of time to go in that one. Uh, but Nate Sudfeld talking about the quarterback position, uh, maybe not the flashiest name out there, but a guy that I guess you like more and more the more you watch him. Yeah, and it's funny because he stood out to me last year as a junior, and he missed some time last year with injury. He's missed some time this year with an injury as well, and that's going to be one of the knocks on him. He doesn't have a, a great arm, but I think he's got a pretty good arm. I, mean, I think that might be one of his strengths is the fact that he's a pretty good arm talent, uh, pretty accurate with the football, makes some anticipation-type throws, which you typically don't see from quarterbacks in that kind of system. Uh, I think he flashes the ability to work within the pocket. You see lots of really impressive flashes from Sudfeld. The question is, can he be more consistent? Uh, and that's going to be the big question. I think that sometimes his touch is a little off. You'd like to see a little bit more from that respect. But I see a guy that certainly is a, a strong developmental-type player that you can take in the fourth or fifth round to try and groom into a future starter. Uh, I think that Sudfeld has that kind of ability. Look, and we'll, we'll say this, and this is why this is why personally I'm not a big, oh, this guy is a third-round draft grade. If Sean Mannion was in this draft class, he would probably not get drafted. Personally, that's based on he was a third round pick by the St. Louis Rams a year ago. Right. Uh, if if Sean Mannion could be a third round pick, I, it's, I you'd have to explain to me for a long time why Nate Selfield couldn't be. So uh, I just thought of that, of that on the top of my head because I still can't believe that Sean Mannion went in the third round. Not a Sean Mannion guy. Right? <laughs> 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 no, not necessarily. So, and Sudfeld's going to be at the Shrine game. You know, you and I were going to see him in person down there, and uh, I think he'll be the best quarterback in attendance down in St. Petersburg. So, um, it's it'll be interesting to see. I, I, Sudfeld in a, in a good quarterback group, I think, has the ability to be uh, a solid mid-round selection. Next up, looking at the uh, Texas Bowl, which will be played on Tuesday night. Uh, Texas Tech running back DeAndre Washington taking on a couple of LSU linebackers, Deion Jones and Kendall Beckwith. Yeah, and Washington is is always kind of stood out to me just because look, he he's not going to be uh, you know, your classic feature back at the next level. He's not a guy that's going to carry 20 plus times a game week in week out. But, you know, undersized guy, he's quick, he's got a good burst, he can make people miss, he can catch the ball well out of the backfield. He gives good effort both as a as a blocker but then also with the ball in his hands trying to fight for extra yardage. Uh, I th- there are a lot of different things that I like about Washington. Some have knocked that, you know, when he gets in out, out into the open field, and this was an issue with LaShawn McCoy, when he gets into the open field, it's almost like instead of going to the end zone, he's looking for that next defender that he's got to make miss, uh, you know, as opposed to trusting his speed and running for pay dirt. That's one of the issues that Washington has. Uh, obviously, the size does come into play a little bit, but an interesting player that I think will end up being a day three selection. But uh, again, you see the value there and what he can bring to the table. Looking at the Independence Bowl, uh, Tulsa wide receiver Kiaris Garrett uh, taking on Virginia Tech cornerback Brandon Faison. 
Yeah, in the last game of uh, Frank Beamer's career at Virginia Tech, the 23rd straight bowl game. Uh, Faison's a really impressive guy because he's a 6'2 corner uh, with great size that can disrupt early in the down. Needs a lot of technique work, and I actually wrote in the piece that he reminds me in terms of his play style, the way he runs of Byron Maxwell, who what was what was Maxwell in Seattle? Was he was a sixth round pick. pick. Yeah, sixth so, round pick. Uh, you know, I think Faison probably will go a little bit higher, especially now that everybody's kind of looking for those types of corners. I think Faison would end up going higher. He's only a redshirt sophomore. We'll see what happens if he does decide to declare. All the defensive coaches, I think, are going to be back at that staff, so uh, they may be relying on him to be a leader moving forward. But very, very interesting player. Going up against Kiaris Garrett, who I didn't know much about going into the, uh, the time that I watched him. He got announced for the East-West Shrine game. I went and I watched him, 6'4", 220 pounds. Deceptive mover, can get used in the screen game. And that's really – they're – their offense is very much based on the quick passing game, and so he's used in that way. Want to see him run a full route tree. Want to see him in more of those contested situations, which we will see, thankfully, down at the Shrine game uh, in those one-on-one drills. It'll be very interesting to watch. And then uh, going back to the offensive tackle position from Washington State, Joe Dahl taking on Miami. And Dahl is another guy, I just said it with Garrett. uh, When he was announced for the East-West game, I didn't know too much about Joe Dahl. Went and watched him and was really just – I'm going to be honest, I was blown away. I, I was really, really impressed with his feet. I thought that he had the ability to hold up at, at the tackle spot, even though he's kind of have the, he has the build of, an, of, a, of a guard at the next level. I think he's got the feet to be able to last a tackle. Really needs to, to work a little bit on his technique and the way that he uses his hands. But he's going to have a, a big week for him because he was announced initially for the Shrine game, and I thought, wow, he's one of the best senior offensive linemen that I had watched. And then a couple of weeks later, he got announced for the Senior Bowl. So he's going to be down in Mobile instead of the, of the Shrine game. We'll see him down there at the Senior Bowl. And that's always a big week for those offensive linemen that can go down and really impress. It happened with Lane Johnson. It happened with Eric Fisher that same season where he vaulted himself with a huge Senior Bowl week into the, the number one slot in the NFL draft. So could be a, I'm not saying that Joe Dahl is, is that kind of a player, but very interesting because he's got really good feet. Uh, I'll be interested to see if people think after that week of practice, is he a tackle or is he a guard? Uh, sticking with the offensive tackle group that we're talking about here, um, and when you mention Eric Fisher, number one overall pick uh, probably hasn't exactly panned out the way that uh, a lot of people had hoped. What was it that kind of separated him from the Lane Johnsons and, and from Luke Jokel in that draft? You know, I, I think the big thing was all three, and I remember going into that week uh, of the draft that no one knew who was going to be the pick. Everyone kind of thought, okay, it was going to be Jokel, number one to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no one was really sure. Maybe it would be Lane Johnson. Maybe it would be Eric Fisher. And it wasn't until, you know, the, the, the hour before the draft that a word came out that it was going to potentially be Fisher. And even then, it wasn't positive until the name was called, and that's rare that that happens mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in the draft. Typically, everyone knows who the pick's going to be. So I think that everyone thought that they were pretty close. Uh, now, who, what ultimately separated them? I think the fact that Lane only played one year of, uh, of tackle uh, certainly had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say that was probably the number one reason, to be honest, because Fisher was a four-year starter in the MAC. Uh, was a, a first-team all-conference player and had all kinds of tape and then had the build, too. I mean, and that was the thing. You looked at Lane, he still needed had some growing to do into his body. Uh, Jokel was a, a nice player but wasn't a, an excellent athlete. Fisher was, you know, proved to be a better athlete at the Combine and had a strong week. Uh, so I would say that that was probably what vaulted him above him. And then the uh, the final matchup here uh, from your Saturday scouting piece, uh, LaRaven Clark versus Arden Key, Texas Tech versus LSU. You know, Clark is going to be interesting because I think, and I wrote this in the piece, 
I think that offensive line coaches are going to be really, really impressed with him from a physical standpoint. I don't know what he's like away from the field, so obviously that'll have a, a big impact on it. But physically, I mean, he's a huge kid with really long arms. Uh, from what I've heard, his hands are gigantic. Like his frame in terms of like height, weight, arm length, hand size are through the roof. So you've got a guy that's got incredible upside just from a physical measurable standpoint. Uh, I think he's got pretty light feet for that size. He's just got the ability. As soon as he hits somebody, you can just see the impact. And what, you know, he's able to jar opponents on contact immediately. Uh, I think that there's a lot of raw potential there. He has no idea how to use his hands. And, you know, and so the, a lot of that is just the way that, that that scheme is. It's not a traditional offensive system, but a very impressive player, an impressive talent. He's going to do it on the mobile. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see him be one of the most impressive players uh, at the position of the game. Or it could be like a T.J. Clemmings situation, too, where you know, everyone said a lot of the same things about T.J. Clemmings, and he was going to be a first-round pick. And yeah, everyone he was certainly, Then he dropped. And obviously the foot helped that, but he didn't have a good week at the senior bowl. He struggled, uh, and it was a lot with his hands and technique. We'll see if that happens to Clark. Uh, great stuff from Fran's Saturday scouting column. You can find it right now on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Uh, and I think that'll wrap things up for Draft Buzz here, and we will transition right ahead into pick six. Now it's time for pick six. All right, before we start out our pick six segment here, I want to thank everybody for listening to uh, our Journey to the Draft podcast here, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher or however it is that you consume your Eagles podcast. Be sure to rate, comment, subscribe. Uh, let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you might want to hear in any of our future podcasts. But again, thanks to everyone for listening. It is time for Pick 6. Uh, and this week, Fran, for Pick 6, I think we're going to go a little bit under the radar. Some of these names uh, fans may know, but some under-the-radar players from the action this week, a preview uh, of the games upcoming before some of the bigger games uh, on New Year's Day, on New Year's Eve. Yeah, and, and we say under the radar now, but these are players that we will be talking about uh, the week of the Shrine game and the, and the Senior Bowl. So uh, not necessarily players that are going to be afterthoughts in the draft process, but sure. maybe people that aren't necessarily in the forefront at this point in the process. And we will start things off number one at the Rose Bowl, Iowa safety Jordan Lomax. Yeah, and he's a, a really impressive player. I went back and I watched him uh, over the summer from his junior season, 5'10", 205 pounds, really physical, aggressive, just a tough safety, instinctive on the back end. I think he does a good job of reading pass concepts and breaking on the football. Very good wrap-up tackler downhill, a big hitter, a savvy blitzer. Kind of reminded me a little bit of Bob Sanders, the, the second-round pick. Actually, was he out of Iowa? He was out of Iowa. He was. Yeah. Very, you know, Sanders... Uh, was undersized. He was smaller, I think, than than Lomax is. But just he, I think he did enough on the back end. But it was more what he could do downhill. And Lomax is that kind of a player. He's one of those enforcer types that I think does enough in the in the back end in coverage that he can stick in the NFL. Uh, he'll be matched up at times on Stanford tight end Austin Hooper, a talented redshirt sophomore who our friend Tony Pauline from DraftInsider.net believes will declare for the draft. So uh, will be an interesting one on one matchup for sure. Next up, number two, Ohio State tight end Nick Vanette. Yeah, 6'6", 260 pounds. We're going to see him at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. Uh, I would say the senior tight end class is one of the weaker position groups overall when you look, you know, you look across the, around the, uh, the landscape. But I think Vanette's a really intriguing talent because he's got good size. I think his athleticism is pretty quality. Uh, his, he, I like his ability to hold up at the point of attack. And while his numbers weren't great from a receiving standpoint, they don't really use the tight end often in that, in that offense. I think he's got NFL starting potential down the road. He's not an over – like 
like like I said, it's not an overly talented senior tight end group, but I think he's right there at the top. You talk about a guy like Ryan Malik from Virginia Tech. I think he's right there with Malik. He'll be matched up with Elijah Shoemate in coverage and uh, potentially Romeo Aquara, the, the defensive end there from Notre Dame as well. You know, potentially a Jalen Smith. Nick Vanette, that's going to be a game that people go back and watch for Ohio State because uh, this game against Notre Dame and a very talented defense, he'll have some different matchups there. Uh, another big tight end on your list here, Jake McGee out of Florida. McGee's interesting, man, because uh, he was a high school quarterback. He was initially com- committed to Richmond. I uh, was going to play FCS, and then that was right when Mike London took the UVA job, and so then he, he switched his uh, his commitment to Virginia, ended up going there as a tight end, and he was the leading receiver for the Cavaliers back in 2013, decided to transfer, and he transferred up to Florida. Uh, I think he's a solid prospect. You know, Again, he's got good size. He's 6'5", nearly 250 pounds. He's got good athleticism. I don't think he's an outstanding athlete, but for that size, I think he's a, a pretty nice athlete with natural hands. He does a good job going up and fighting for the football. At this point, I'd like to see him get better as a route runner, uh, and he definitely needs to get into the weight room, get a little bit stronger. He'll be matched up in a couple different areas here with this Michigan game because you know they've got an, an all-everything safety, a defensive back in Jabril Peppers who kind of plays safety, plays in the slot, you know, plays all over the place. Peppers is a guy we'll be talking about in the future. He's drawing comparisons already as a redshirt freshman to Charles Woodson, uh, and so you, I think you'll see him matched up over the tight end a number of times. You, but you, McGee could also see a lot of reps against a senior-laden linebacking core, some guys that we'll be talking about in the future for the Shrine game, James Ross, Desmond Morgan, Joe Bolden as well as is graduating. So a really uh, experienced group of linebackers for Michigan. I'll be interested to see how McGee fares uh, against a talented Michigan defense. Up next, number four, a uh, player we've talked about in the past, the brother of, uh, uh, was it Ryan Nassib? Ryan Nassib. Brother of Ryan Nassib, Carl Nassib out of Penn State. Yeah, and he's got good size. I mean, he's 6'7", 272. Some people are really high on him, right, rightfully so. I mean, they get, the guy's a former walk-on, you know, self-made player. He won the Lombardi Award as the top lineman in college football this year. He's a first-team All-American, one of the most productive players in the entire country. I've talked with Mike Mayock. Mayock loves Carl Nassib and what he can be. Uh, he comes off the ball really well, was just really reliable in terms of defending the run, attacking offensive tackles with a couple of different moves. He's a technician with his hands and allows him to generate power because – you know, he's not the, the most stout guy. I mean, he's 6'7", 272, you know, okay, 272 pounds. But since he's 6'7", it's not, he's, not, he's, kinda, sure. he's, he's got to add a little bit of weight there. But he's able to generate power because he plays with good technique. Uh, he's a little bit stiff, and that's going to be a question whether you know, he's not necessarily one of those bend-the-edge pass rushers. But he's got a place in the league. It's just a matter of what scheme he fits in best. And going up against this Georgia offense, he'll, he'll be matched up, and this is going to be a good one-on-one battle again. Uh, with a senior bowl tackle, John Theus, the right tackle there for Georgia. That's going to be a good matchup because we're going to see both of those players down at the senior bowl. At six foot seven, he's almost in the Brandon Bear category. Correct. Of defensive players. Almost in Brian Mahalik territory. <laughs> what was Mahalik? Six nine? Yeah. So cl- almost there. Not quite. Uh, next up from NC State, cornerback Justin Burris at six one. Yeah, well, we're going to see Burris down at the Shrine game. And, you know, when I watched him, I thought he was one of the most disciplined press corners that I had watched so far this season. Uh, he's very sound at the line of scrimmage. He's very patient. Uh, he looks very comfortable in those situations near the line of scrimmage. Disrupts receivers with ease consistently every single time I watched him on tape. The question will be with him, what kind of an athlete is he and what is his speed like? If he can check those boxes, if he can go down to the Shrine game and perform really well, uh, you know, I, I think that will really help his case. 
he could go a lot earlier than I think people think. Because, again, if you're 6'1", 207 pounds, you're, you've got the size. Now if you show that you've got the athleticism, you're going you're gonna to get drafted high. I mean, that's just the way that the NFL is right now. And, look, it's, uh, before you even get to that post-season post, uh, process, he's got the ability to, to be able to really prove himself against one of the most talented receivers in the country this week, uh, going up against Deronia Wilson from Mississippi State. Wilson's a 6'5 college basketball player from the, for the Bulldogs. Was a, I think he was all Mississippi uh, Mr. Basketball coming out of high school. I mean, a very, very talented player had going up and fighting for the ball in contested situations. So a guy like Burris who has that size, who has that length, it'll be a very, very intriguing matchup watching those two guys go at it. And last but certainly not least, Fran, you have a wide receiver here to round out your pick six. Yes, uh, I've got Devin Kajuste from uh, from Stanford, 6'3", 229 pounds. His good size, and that's going to be one of the things that he's going to hang his hat on because he's not an outstanding athlete, but I think he's a, he's a nice player that I think can fill a role. It's just a matter of can he do enough to earn a draft selection because, uh, again, he's not a top-level athlete. I'd like to see him do a little bit better job at the, at the catch point in terms of winning those contested situations. But when we talk about a big kid who runs pretty well, comes from a pro-style system, can play in the slot, can play outside, he's got a big opportunity this week in the Rose Bowl against Iowa and cornerback Desmond King, who's one of the most talented players at his position in the entire country. Uh, he's going down to the Shrine game, so he'll have an opportunity there as well. That'll be an interesting matchup to watch. Devin Kajusti, certainly a name to know. Uh, in this year's wide receiver class. Uh, Great stuff from Fran in pick six here, and I think we will transition ahead now and dig into our college mailbag to close out the show. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, we hit the home stretch here in Journey to the Draft with our draft mailbag. Uh, a, A number of good questions that came in on Twitter today. And we will start things off with Jeff, uh, at JeffDavid7 on Twitter, uh, who wants to know, with the picks and free agent money spent on the secondary last year, how much or how little might we see that secondary address this year for the Eagles? Well, I, I think that that's going to depend really on what happens in terms of free agency and re-signing their own players because you've got Nolan Carroll, who is out, obviously out for the season with his injury, Walter Thurmond, who has played at a pretty high level. You know, he hasn't been all world but I think he's been a very solid addition more than I think people expected when he was bought here a year ago Uh, both of those guys are free agents I think it's a good cornerback class depending on the juniors that do declare so you know at this point if you're if you're an Eagles fan are you going to turn down any cornerback I mean I I think you would want to bring in I think you'd want to bring back Nolan Carroll I think you want to bring back Walter Thurman I think both those guys have proven that they can play at a pretty good level in this defense Uh, I would imagine both those guys would return now it's just a matter of, hey, if, if any of these corners, you know, Kendall Fuller from uh, Virginia Tech has already declared, but some of these other guys are kind of on the fence. You know, uh, Jalen Ramsey, Tredavious White, Cam Sutton from Tennessee, Eli Apple, the Voorhees, New Jersey kid from uh, uh, Ohio State, you know, Mackenzie Alexander from Clemson. We talked about Desmond King from Iowa. Very talented junior cornerback class. We'll see who decides to declare, and uh, if they add into this class, some other talented guys like a Justin Burris could potentially fall. Now you're talking, can we get a talented corner that fits this scheme and this press scheme in the, you know, in the middle rounds? I don't think you can turn that down. Digging back into the mailbag here, this question from Nick Signs at The Real Nick Signs. Who are some of the mid, we talked about some of the, the top offensive linemen to watch, but who are some of the, maybe the mid first round OL prospects to keep an eye on? You know, I think that Tunsil is going to go top two, top three. So I, I, to me, I think if, if, ten, if, anything, if anything holds serve, 
I think Tennessee is going to have that first pick, and to me, that's a no-brainer. You take you take Tunsil, you have him protect Mariota's blind side, you move Taylor Lewan over, and you've got two very good quality uh, bookend tackles there for the next you know eight to ten years. I think that's a no-brainer. So I would imagine Tunsil would be gone. Uh, Ronnie Stanley, we've talked about it. The PFF had him what at seventeen. I think that. Uh, that would be surprising at this point, you know, gauging of looking around who were the other players uh, that are going to be in this draft. But I think that Stanley most likely would be gone by the middle of the first round, we'll say. So now you're talking potentially Jack Conklin from Michigan State. We brought up he actually went ahead of Stanley in that PFF mock draft. And then you have Taylor Decker from Ohio State. I think both guys, honestly, if you're saying right now, I don't know that I'd say either of them is one of the top 30 one best players in this draft uh but with the tackle spot being as important as it is and really a lot of people this is one of the the, those phrases a lot of those axioms that people kind of stick to that first round pick you almost always want it to impact the passing game so you're talking a quarterback a receiver a corner a pass rusher or a pass protector uh so i think that you know potentially you could see one of these tackles bump up just because of the importance of the position um, but I think those are the two guys you're talking about at this point. I don't know that there's many other guys that you're going to talk about getting bumped up. Overall, I think it's a solid group, but I think it's more about the depth. It's almost like this quarterback class. It's, all, it's more about what do you see in rounds uh, two through five as opposed to what do you see at the top of the group. Uh, sticking with the offensive line theme, uh, our next question comes from Neil Dutton, uh, who wants to know about the interior part of the line as he's interested in the top prospects at guard. Anybody that you think could be worth, worth a look? You know, I, I think that ultimately, and this is a good question by Neil, I think that ultimately it comes down to what do you think the Eagles want or what do you personally want? Because there were times last year, I think going into last offseason, we all envisioned the Eagles offensive line as, you know, they want athleticism, they want people that can help in the zone run game, get to the second level, you know, get out in space in the screen game, uh, do all those different things from an athletic quickness standpoint. But a lot of the guys that they were reportedly interested in uh, and talking to at the combine or on personal visits were all these big, powerful maulers in the run game. Uh, so I think that really it just comes down to what do you think the Eagles want? But you know, if you want the the former, if you want if you want those athletic guys, I think you could talk about Kansas State's Cody Whitehair, who plays left tackle, athletic kid, can anchor, really really tough. Joe Dahl, we talked about from Washington State. I think some people see as a guard uh, will be at the Senior Bowl and has got really light feet. Connor McGovern from from Mizzou is a, who plays guard, uh, athletic, really again a, a good anchor, has the ability to move people, and, and also is really just he plays with an edge. He's, you know, he plays with that toughness that you like to see along the offensive line. And then you have Max Turk, who I think would be in the discussion with that late first round, early second round type stage, but tours ACL in October. So, you know, he's going to have a rehab to go through. But again, a really unique athleticism for the position, has the ability to move people as well. So if you're looking for an athlete, you're talking about some of those guys. But if you're looking on the other side of the coin and some of these big, powerful people movers, you know, you have Vidal Alexander from LSU. You've got LaRaven Clark we've talked about from Texas Tech. And Evan Bohm from Mizzou is the center there. Probably the best center in the draft at this point in the process. Uh, you know, I think there's lots of options. Again, I like the possibilities for the interior of the offensive line in this draft. Very excited to see how it all pans out and who else gets added into the group because as it stands now, I think it's a very talented group overall. Uh, Next up from Miguel Gonzalez at Phillies Rock 23. Uh, He believes that the Eagles need some O-line depth, uh, but he also would like to see uh, the Eagles fill a need at outside, at wide receiver. Fran, which way would you go? I would go best player. 
Best player available. It's a very cliche answer. Of you. Yes. I, and we, we talked about it a little bit earlier. I mean, to me, it's, it's all about do you, regardless of what you think the immediate need is, if you have, a, if you have two players that are pretty even, then maybe you can, you can kind of go towards need. If you, if, you have a guy, if you feel like you have a really big need at, at receiver, uh, or I'm sorry, at, at outside linebacker, but not as big of a need at receiver, and you have a receiver who's got an A-plus grade and a pass rusher that has a B grade, you take the guy with the A-plus grade. I mean, that's just how it is. Um, but all things being considered, I think of those two positions, I would still say you probably want to go with the O-line. That would be, that would be for me, I, I would think you'd go offensive line. And last but certainly not least, this question from Joe Fennelly, uh, who wants to know if the Eagles will draft a wideout. We talked a little bit about the wide receiver position earlier, but do you think the Eagles will take a wideout at some point in this draft? You know, I think that it's interesting. You know, I think that overall this receiver group isn't as talented as the ones we've seen over the last two or three years. Um, I think there's certainly talent. Obviously, there's talent everywhere, but... I, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see them draft one. You know, I think that you know whether it's a, a big possession type or whether it's just more speed. I mean, I, I think that speed is definitely uh, something that you're looking to add and trying to influx this roster with is just to add more wheels, whether it's inside in the slot or on the perimeter or on the outside. I think speed can go a long way you know, for what they try to do offensively here. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them take one. Who is that guy this year? Who's the, you know, the John Brown uh, – that type of receiver, if, if you've watched any guys on film, that just that speed threat, that deep threat, uh, who could play in the slot uh, and really be a vertical threat uh, for the for the Seagulls offense. Oh, I, I think that overall, you know, we talked about Corey Coleman, we talked about him earlier. I think that Sterling Shepard is probably a little bit more quick than fast, not necessarily that burner. Uh, Braxton Miller has reportedly got wheels. Uh, you know, I think that he was timed uh, in those Ohio State, you know, spring pro days in the in the early in the low four fours. So he's definitely one of those guys that could potentially be a field stretcher. I think that you look at Christopher Moore, the kid we're going to see down at the Senior Bowl, uh, a deep threat for sure for for Cincinnati. Colby Listonby from TCU will play the opposite Josh Doxson. Uh, again, we'll see him down at the Senior Bowl. He's been rumored to be in the high four four or high four threes, the low four four range. Uh, I think there are some interesting vertical type threats. I don't know who these, the, you know, and that's the funny thing is we get down to the shrine game and then we hear, you know, that's what John Brown, but we didn't know who, who John Brown was. You know, when we got down there, he was this, this small receiver from Pittsburgh state. And then you see him run and you're like, Oh man, this kid's like really, really quick. And then he goes to the combine and you're like, well, yeah, that there's that legit speed. Uh, we'll see what, if any of those guys trying to declare, but I think right now, that's, those are probably the big names. Liston B and Chris Moore, to me, are, are probably the, the truest vertical uh, field stretchers at this point. Will Fuller, the junior from Notre Dame, would be in that list, but it seems like he's going to stay in school. All right. Well, we are getting uh, closer and closer to the Shrine Game, Senior Bowl, uh, all coming up here. So, uh, Alex, we are, I think it's three weeks from Monday. i got to pack my bags. <laughs> I, think it's, I think we leave... As long as, you know, obviously we hope we're, we hope we're not, we're, we're in the playoffs, but, uh, otherwise we will be leaving three weeks from Monday. I'll pack my bags. I'll, uh, I'll get, I'll, you know, I'll get some legal pad to take some notes. Um, legal pad, legal pad, the, yes. the, the, the Mike Mayock school of taking notes. There you go. I'm just trying to it's, be the best I can be. Everybody, everybody does it their own specific way. Like I've got, you know, my, the spreadsheet that I do. Mm. Mayock does all, he's all written. Cosell does it all long form in like a word document. I don't know how he does that. That would drive me absolutely bonkers. Um, 
it's interesting seeing how people, what everyone's process is in terms of keeping track of all their notes. Well, I'll get to take all of it in for the first time and uh, <laughs> very much looking forward to it. Uh, Fran, thanks a lot. As always, great stuff here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We want to thank all of you again for listening. Be sure to rate, comment, subscribe, uh, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, however it is that you listen. Let us know what you like, what you didn't like, uh, and we'll try to obviously address that uh, on upcoming issues of these podcasts. But uh, for Fran Duffy, I'm Alex Smith. Again, thanks, everybody, for listening to Journey to the Draft, and we'll talk to you guys next week.